Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. T-Radio Studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to Sportsbeat on this Tuesday, November the 15th, 2022. It is really dark at seven minutes after five o'clock here in downtown South Bend, Indiana. Just a few miles from our studios, the Notre Dame football team will play their final home game of the 2022 campaign. They will look to win for the eighth time in the last nine games. And they will take on the Boston College Eagles who are three and seven but coming off a huge win for them anyway, over a nationally ranked NC State team in Raleigh last Saturday. Budweiser's weekday sports beat, two hour program tonight. We'll take you up until seven o'clock. Coming up in the six o'clock hour, a conversation with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. And we're probably gonna spend half of our conversation on the latest news surrounding the possibility of Notre Dame adding a quarterback in their class of 2023. Mike will have all the details for you coming up here in the six o'clock hour. We'll also talk about a couple of other commitments or guys that Notre Dame are recruiting coming up in our recruiting segment in the six o'clock hour here on WSBT radio. It's Tuesday, so our My 5 is the five things you need to know about Saturday's opponent, the Boston College Eagles. We will take a look at what might happen tonight in the college football playoff rankings and how far Notre Dame may climb. They were number 20 last week. Several teams right in front of them in the standings lost on Saturday, so we'll 
do a little guessing, and also we'll give you the latest prognostications from the people who actually spend time trying to figure out the bowl assignments each week. And we'll run down the possibilities, everything from a game on December 23rd against Florida International to the Irish playing on December 30th. But I'll have to say right now, the most intriguing bowl possibility would be on December 29th in the Cheez-It Bowl against this team. And I'll wait to have the announcement of that team coming up when I have the segment in about 30 minutes here on WSBT Radio. But of all the matchups, this one, at least from a name recognition standpoint, it would be a fun matchup to say the least. So we'll get to that on the way in a little bit. We've got a sports wagering segment to get to later on in the program. First off, we have to take care of a couple of first pitches as we kick off Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Tuesday, November the 15th of 2022. The first pitch and the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. All right, let's just go through a couple of news and notes this afternoon, some things that have popped up. Former Irish defensive lineman Isaac Rochelle spent a good amount of time starting his career with the Chargers. He has been picked up and placed on the Cleveland Browns practice squad. Also, the Chicago Bears have placed running back Khalil Herbert on the injured reserve list, so that means he will miss at least four games. Well, he was running well for Chicago couple of baseball notes. Ken Rosenthal is reporting that the New York Yankees are re-signing Anthony Rizzo, the former Chicago Cub World Championship first baseman. Spent the last couple of years in New York after being traded there by the Cubs. Looks like he has a multi-year deal to stay in Gotham to play for the Yankees. His old team, the Chicago Cubs, offered free agent Wilson Contreras a qualifying offer. He rejected that offer. And so Contreras is on the open market. He can be signed by anybody. And for the Cubs, they will pick up a draft pick in between the second and the third round, one of the competitive balance rounds. So that's what the Cubs will get for losing Wilson Contreras to another franchise. So the Cubs truly moving on from their 2016 World Championship team. I think Kyle Hendricks has got to be about the only guy left, right? They released Hayward and paid him $22 million to leave. You're not bringing back Contreras. So off the top of my head, I'm scanning the field. I think that's probably it. Hendricks is the only guy left from that World Championship team. Times are changing. I know on MLB Network this morning, they were talking about the Cubs acquiring a shortstop via free agency. And they were stating that the Dodgers, Trey Turner, and the Twins, Carlos Correa, might be at the top of their list. The Cubs can afford it despite acting poor the last few years. They can go get anybody they want. And if they are serious about winning, boy, bringing in Trey Turner would dramatically change that team. Power, speed, glove, hit for average. He brings everything to the table, and that would be a massive coup for the Cubs if they could bring in a guy 
like Trey Turner. Correa's fine. It's okay, but to me, Turner is on the elite shortstop level, and then there's the next group, Correa, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson. A lot of good choices if you need a shortstop this year in Major League Baseball. All right, that's some news and nuggets from the last hour or so. Now let's dig into some Notre Dame football talk. Let's go through the Notre Dame offense. And after a great first half and a dismal second half against Navy, where they stand in the national rankings. Well, putting up 35 in the first half against Navy and nothing in the second half allowed them to move up 10 spots in scoring offense. The Irish still below 30 a game. They're at 29.7. That is tied for 59th in the country. Total offense, which is yardage. The Irish had 374.7 yards per game. They moved up three spots from 81 to 78. So still in the bottom half in the country in total offense. The one category that dropped was rushing offense. Notre Dame fell 15 spots to number 43. They're now averaging 182.2 yards per game. Red zone offense, the Irish up six spots to tied for 47th. They score in the red zone 86.5% of the time. They're 32 of 37 with 17 rushing touchdowns, nine passing touchdowns, and six field goals. And third down, efficiency. And that is picking up a first down via third down. 43.1% of the time, the Irish are successful. That's 42nd in the country, and they moved up three spots. Well, there is no doubt that the execution level, I'm not even getting to that. The whole process. I don't want to leave out anything bad. Let's just throw a big blanket over everything. The entire offensive unit failed in the second half against Navy after doing some remarkable things in the first half. Highly efficient. I mean, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Second half, they could hardly pick up a yard. Bizarre. And you look at Navy, their second-half pressure truly affected the Fighting Irish. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. And I know Marcus Freeman went through a checklist of things that went wrong in the second half. The line not being put in the proper protection. Protection breaking down. Quarterback holding on to the football too long. He put no blame on play calling. So that's why let's just throw a big blanket over everything and just put it all in the pot. It was a failure in the second half on the offensive side of the football. Fortunately, they had done so much good in the first half. The second half downfall didn't cost them the game. Irish held on to win 35-32 against Navy on Saturday, despite being outscored in the second half. 19 to nothing. But here's the question, and I thought it was a good one asked to Marcus Freeman on Monday. What Navy was able to do? Zero pressure. That means no safety help, man coverage, everybody else is coming after the quarterback. 
if you're going to leave one of our defenders free unblocked, we're okay with that because we're going to put pressure on Drew Pine and hopefully force him into mistake or hold the football too long and we get to him. And the Navy game plan worked perfectly in the second half. So is there a blueprint now for Boston College and the University of Southern California to use this against the Fighting Irish over the next two games? Here's how Marcus Freeman answered that particular question yesterday. Yeah, you know, I think you look at the first half and going back and watching the tape, they still had similar thought process in defense in terms of bringing a lot of pressure. They dropped a little bit, played a little bit of two. And, um, but, you know, when you bring all that pressure, you know, it, it's high risk, high reward. And what you saw in the first half is we scored five of the six possessions we had on offense. And, you know, I think coming out in the second half, they continued to do it. Um, you know, if we execute the way we're supposed to execute and like we did in the first half, now you're adding 70 points total, you know, 35 plus 35 is 70. And so, you know, that's 70 points. Um, but the other part of that is the high reward where they limit us to 12 yards on offense. And so um, that's, again, I don't know if teams will try to copy that, you know, and, and I think us now on Monday, look back and say, okay, if the team wants to bring all our pressure, we we got to execute. I think going into the game, it was like, okay, we're going to execute. But we didn't in the second half. And, uh, you know, that was probably more Navy-ish defense than you'll see um, probably from Boston College. I don't know about USC. Uh, but, again, there's still the the, the – the details of, of offense that we still have to execute. We still have to protect. I don't care if you're bringing eight guys, seven guys, or you're bringing four guys. It's still an execution. There's still a decision-making um, you know, process that we have on both sides of the ball, but that you have to do it, right? And, and there's no excuse for not setting the protection the right way. There's no excuse for not blocking the guy that, We've worked in practice. You see them come in, you got to block them. There's no excuse for having bad fundamentals. And, and those are all things. And that's why I want to make sure I understand it's not just one thing that Navy was doing or we were doing that said this is what happened. No, there was a, there was a multitude of things that um, we did not do and they were doing that, that really contributed to the second half. I think I want to become a coach because I never get blamed for anything. That's pretty nice. It's all on the players. There had to be adjustments that could have been made in that second half to allow the players to execute at a higher level. Do they need to execute what was given to them? There is absolutely no doubt about it. But there has to be some pivoting from time to time. You would think. Coach Freeman has talked about the play calling was no different in the first half and the second half. I wonder if that could be part of the issue. But we'll stick with going with the players didn't do their jobs. And that's why they had 20 yards, or I should say 12 yards on 20 plays in the second half after a brilliant job by the coaches and the players in the first half to put up those 
35 points and put the game out of reach, at least we thought at that particular time. Honestly, I'm not sure this is a blueprint that has to be followed. I think you can have, at the end of the day, the results you're looking for, rushing three and dropping eight against this Notre Dame passing attack. So what we saw Saturday, I don't think you have to do that to have success against the Irish passing game. That's just another way of doing it. Navy attacked, and they were left vulnerable. When you go zero pressure, you are vulnerable in so many ways, and that's why it's mind-boggling. The Irish could not take advantage because that's what offenses do to defenses that take chances. You burn them. And my goodness, it just did not happen in the second half for, I guess, all the reasons that are being listed. So now this doesn't worry me because I think you can drop those eight back in coverage, rush three, and you can have some pretty good success. Among the Amazing plays in the first half by the offense. How about Braden Lindsey? Lindsey made one of the best catches you will see. And actually, it became a spectacular catch because the ball was underthrown by quarterback Drew Pine, but it all worked out just fine. Navy showing blitz. They rush four. Pine runs out to his right, throws it to the end zone. Braden Lindsey is there. Pins the ball. Oh, my gosh, he caught it. He somehow caught the ball off of the back of Navy's defensive back. And Beattie Williams, Jr., the ball was thrown three yards deep in the end zone, and it was tight coverage on Braden Lindsey. He pinned the ball to the back of Williams, Jr., and then pulled it off of his back with his right hand for the catch. Never seen anything like it. First off, that was some really good play-by-play by Paul Burmeister. It is impossible to describe that play as it happens. There were so many elements to that catch, but amidst the pillow fight that sounded like it was going on in the background, Paul did a beautiful job of describing what you couldn't see on the radio, the pinning of the football on the back of the defender. That was some really good play-by-play by Paul Burmeister, and one heck of a catch by Braden Lindsey, who had a fantastic day against Navy. Five catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Also, you look at Lindsey for the year, 19 catches, 195 yards, two touchdowns. If you go back and watch these games and focus on Braden Lindsey, he could have six or seven touchdown passes. He has been missed, wide open, or the ball was thrown to him, off the mark. Lindsey's numbers... To me, more than anybody else on the football team, could be drastically different if there was better, wait for it, execution. I mean, you look at game film in the middle of the season, Lindsay's open on occasions, and for whatever reason, the ball does not come to his fingertips. You know, Lindsay had what we thought was a quiet year last year. 32 catches, 350 yards, three touchdowns, but he has caught 13 fewer balls this year. 
He's about 155 yards behind last year's total and has caught two fewer touchdowns. But this is what happens when you go from Jack Cohn last year to the combination of Buckner and Pine this year. It's not like Drew Pine is not finding Braden Lindsey because there's another alpha wide receiver on the team. Now, Michael Mayer, of course, is the tight end. He's the alpha pass catcher, but there's not like there's another wide receiver that Pine is going to or counts on. It very well could be Braden Lindsey, but there have been some missed opportunities. So I'm sure this is not the type of season that Lindsey imagined coming back to Notre Dame for one more season. Here's Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on Lindsey. Resilient, um, you know, a guy that didn't complain, continue to come to work, continue to work his tail off. And, and as I tell our guys all the time, you don't know when your reward comes. Um, you know, for Braden, the ability to just continue to work tirelessly throughout the season and then all of a sudden you have a, a game where you're called upon and the ball comes your way and you're able to make some huge catches and, and one of the most impressive catches I've seen. And, uh, you know, it's a great reminder for our guys that continue to work. Don't complain. You know, your time is coming if you do the right things. And when the opportunity presents itself, if you're ready to go, you'll make those plays. And so um, it's a great example of, of what we want our guys to understand is that sometimes you don't control you know, the opportunities that come your way, you control how prepared you are and how hard you work. And uh, Brady Lindsay on Saturday was a great example of that. Well, there are a couple of helpless-feeling wide receivers on this football team. Even to an extent, Michael Mayer sometimes has to kind of look to the heavens. Opportunities sometimes are not fulfilled, and it has nothing to do with the pass catcher. Tobias Merriweather on the depth chart for the first time this week. He is behind Braden Lindsey, replaces Joe Wilkins Jr., who is now headed to the transfer portal. The Irish will take on Boston College this Saturday, senior day at Notre Dame Stadium, 2.30 kickoff. Here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, our pregame coverage starts at 8 a.m. with the Marcus Freeman Radio Show. Jim Irizarry, Tim Growl have game day. The interview show... Brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air from 9 to 11. Blue and Gold's Tyler Hork and I host Game Day Sports Beat powered by Michelob Ultra. We'll talk some X's and O's from 11 until 1.30 live from Notre Dame Stadium. And then the Irish and the Eagles tee it up at 2.30 after the game. Reggie Brooks joins Jim for the official Notre Dame football postgame show. All right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We'll come back with our Twitter question of the day next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Touchdown, Chris Tyree! Yes! 98 yards! On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wide open, touchdown Notre Dame! Lorenzo Styles. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Five forty-nine at WSBT. Welcome back to the program. College football playoff rankings unveiled a little later tonight, probably sometime after nine o'clock. In between the college basketball doubleheader taking place down 
in Indianapolis tonight. Kentucky and Michigan State, Duke and Kansas are squaring off. Now, you take a look at Notre Dame last week. They were number 20 in the college football playoff rankings, and the teams right in front of them did not have their best days, so the Irish could make a decent jump in this week's rankings. You take a look at number 18, Texas, a very disappointing loss at home. To number four, TCU, 17-10. to 10, The Longhorns will drop behind the Irish. One of the upstart programs, Tulane, number 17 last week. They lost at home to Central Florida, 38-31. Number 16, North Carolina State, as we just talked about. Upset at home by Boston College, 21-20. So, for sure, the Irish are going to jump up three spots. You would think, worst case, They're going to be 17th this week. But there is a chance they could get as high as 15, just depending on how the committee looks at a couple of teams further up the line that lost. Number 12, UCLA, not a good loss. They fell to the Arizona Wildcats at the Rose Bowl, 34-28. So possibly UCLA could fall behind the Irish. I don't think Ole Miss will, losing to Alabama, Doesn't normally drop you down that far. The Rebels were number 11 in the country. They had Bama on their home field, and the Crimson Tide walked away with a six-point win, 30-24. So I would assume Ole Miss will still be ahead of the Irish. Notre Dame still has losses to Marshall and Stanford on their resume, which really stand out like a sore thumb. They do have that great win over Clemson, which makes them look a whole lot better. The wins over Syracuse and BYU do not look as great right now since those two teams have fallen off dramatically. So I'm betting the Irish are going to be number 16 when the ranking comes out later tonight. And my top five right now in the college football playoff rankings, if I had a vote, I would have Georgia number one. They are, to me, the best team and the only team on the elite level. Then in the secondary elite group, I've got Ohio State number two. I put TCU number three, Michigan number four. I have TCU ahead of Michigan only because of the number of quality wins TCU has compared to Michigan. Ohio State and Michigan play. That might sort itself out. But I think it's awfully hard to overlook Tennessee. They lost to the number one team in the country on the road. And if Ohio State, TCU, and Michigan played Georgia with any of those three beat the Bulldogs. I think it would be a tough task for any of the three. So Tennessee as a one-loss team, once teams ahead of them grab a loss, I think Tennessee moves into the top four. I think the Volunteers will go to the playoff unless, unless old Brian Kelly and the family down at LSU, if they beat Georgia – And the SEC championship game, could Brian Kelly become the first coach of a team that loses two games and makes the college football playoff? Does the SEC champion, who would beat Georgia to win that, do you keep them out of the playoff? I don't think Georgia, Tennessee, and LSU can all make it. If LSU beats Georgia, keeping in mind Tennessee beat LSU and Baton Rouge, what does the committee do? That is a chaotic mess. And 
That's why <laughs> I think the committee will be more relieved when they go to 12 teams. Sure, you're going to have some controversy who's 11, 12, 13, 14, but this could be a year in which the SEC champion has two losses and do you leave them out of the playoff? That will be one heck of a discussion. So if LSU can win out, who knows, BK could sneak into the playoff. Not sure it's 50-50 at this point, but it is something to keep in mind. Again, Tennessee beat LSU in Baton Rouge. That also complicates the whole thing. And I think for Ohio State and Michigan, if they both want to get in, which they do, of course, but if they want to have a realistic chance of getting in, they need LSU to lose. LSU could complicate both of those teams getting in. Someone's going to lose the rivalry game and hope that they're still going to get in. I think it's going to be tough. You're going to get two SEC teams, it looks like, one way or the other. TCU, the spot is theirs if they can hold on. And the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, seems like they're guaranteed a spot in the playoff. But it's going to be interesting. If LSU can beat Georgia, then you've got a million scenarios to talk about. So what about this Irish football team? What could be ahead of them? Here are some of the possibilities, and I'm just going to read these from the standpoint of earliest bowl date to the latest. Sports Illustrated has Notre Dame falling all the way down to the Gasparilla Bowl on December the 23rd against Florida International. You're all Irish fans. You get up for every game. Are you going to get up for Florida International? That just doesn't seem realistic that Notre Dame would fall that far. I'm not sure their process, what goes into it, but from what I've read, I just don't think that's even a possibility, but I'm just reading what they have reported. So Sports Illustrated has Notre Dame and Florida International in the Gasparilla Bowl on December the 23rd. Let's go to December 28th, a more realistic possibility. I think this could happen. USA Today has Notre Dame taking on the Utah Utes in the Holiday Bowl out in San Diego, December the 28th. That would be a great destination. ESPN's Schleybaugh has Notre Dame taking on the Washington Huskies in the Holiday Bowl, December 28th. Washington pulled off that big upset win over Oregon over the weekend. Penix, the old IU quarterback, played really well for Washington in that game. And College Football News projects Notre Dame to take on the UCLA Bruins in the Holiday Bowl on December the 28th. Chip Kelly against Marcus Freeman. From a catch-your-attention standpoint, this next one would be my choice. The Action Network, Brett McMurphy, he projects Notre Dame going to the Cheez-It Bowl December 29th. I think that's in Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. It would be Notre Dame against the Texas Longhorns. Steve Sarkeesian and that Texas offense. Bishon Robinson, the running back, I would assume he wouldn't play in that game, probably heading to the NFL draft, so Texas would look a whole lot different without him. Yours at quarterback. My colleague Tyler Horka went to Texas, so I know he'd be all in on this particular matchup, but that one's interesting. Notre Dame, Texas in the Cheez-It Bowl, December 29th, according to Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. And then four other outlets have Notre Dame playing on December 30th. 
Sporting News has Notre Dame versus Minnesota in the Dukes Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. And then in Jacksonville, the Gator Bowl. CBS Sports projects Notre Dame against Mike Leach and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. ESPN's Bonagura has Notre Dame taking on the Kentucky Wildcats in the Gator Bowl. And Athlon also has the same matchup, Notre Dame against Kentucky in the Gator Bowl. The Wildcats probably won't have their quarterback. He'll be getting ready for the NFL draft. Could be a top-five pick. Some believe he might go in between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. So that game would lose a little pizzazz with Kentucky using a backup quarterback. So there you go. Those are some of the possibilities right now for the Irish in a bowl game. Texas-Notre Dame is kind of sexy in the Cheez-It Bowl. If a Cheez-It Bowl is sexy, I think Washington and Utah are interesting. But other than that, Florida International, no. Kentucky without their quarterback, no. Minnesota, absolutely no. So I would take Texas, Washington, Utah, Mississippi State, and you can have the others. So we'll see how it all plays out. Notre Dame continues to win. They continue to put themselves in a better position to go to an even better bowl game. They've got Boston College this week and a little matchup at USC a week from Saturday. 5.59 is our time. We'll get to a Sports Center update coming up in a couple of moments. We've got plenty to talk about with Notre Dame possibly adding a 2023 quarterback to their class. Mike Singer from Blue and Gold has all the details coming up in a few moments on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wesley off balance shot, no good. Atkinson put back. It's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby. We're going to have a couple of Irish basketball games right here on WSBT Radio this week. It is the Gotham Classic. From Purcell Pavilion, an upstart Southern Indiana team making the transition to Division I Southern Indiana. Put it to Southern Illinois a couple of nights ago, and Southern Illinois had recently went to Stillwater and upset Oklahoma State, and Southern Illinois was considered one of the top three or four teams in the Missouri Valley this year, and Southern Indiana beat them by double digits earlier this week. So this is a third consecutive Non-Power 5 team that the Irish are going to have to play well to beat. They got by the Highlanders of Radford, the Penguins of Youngstown State on Sunday, 88-81. And this Southern Indiana team probably is not going to be a pushover as the Irish and Southern Indiana will play tomorrow at 9 o'clock here on WSBT Radio, 8.30 pregame. And then on Friday, the Irish take on Lipscomb at 7 o'clock. And this afternoon, as I mentioned in the sports update, Nate Lashevsky got ACC Player of the Week, 21 points and 11 rebounds. From the Notre Dame women's basketball news file, they just picked up another verbal commitment. And I assume this is a signing, too, at this point, as the Irish have picked up five-star guard Hannah Hidalgo. She has picked the Fighting Irish today. And Hidalgo, the number five overall player in the class of 2023, according to ESPN Hoop Girls recruiting rankings. And she joins two other five stars in this 23 class, guard Emma Risch and forward guard Cassandra 
Prosper. So three five stars if you're into the star ratings for Neil Ivey and the Finding Irish Women's Basketball Team and the class of 2023. The news of Hidalgo broke within the hour, so the Irish recruiting class on paper is looking really, really good. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Today's My Five, five things to know about the Notre Dame football team's opponent on Saturday, the Eagles of Boston College. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. First, let's give you a little background on this team. Boston College is 3-7. and seven. Their wins... Well, they beat Maine 38-17. to That's more of a Hockey East matchup than a football matchup. Boston College won a wild game at home over Louisville earlier this year, 34-33. And then the surprising win last Saturday over NC State, 21-20. Their losses this year? Well, Boston College, rough start to the campaign as they fell to Rutgers 22-21 in Chestnut Hill. Also, they lost at Virginia Tech, and the Hokies have turned out to be a mediocre football team. Hokies won 27-10. BC was hammered at Florida State 44-14. BC lost to Clemson 31-3. A loss at Wake Forest, 43-15. A very surprising loss to Connecticut on the road, 13-3. And Boston College also lost a wild game at home to Duke, 38-31. Now, a player that you need to familiarize yourself with is a wide receiver by the name of Zay Flowers, Z-A-Y Flowers. A 5'10 senior wide receiver turning out to be one of the top wideouts in college football. Flowers has 67 catches for 921 yards. He is averaging 13.7 yards per catch, and he's got 10 receiving touchdowns so far this year. Flowers, in his last two games against Duke and North Carolina State, has two touchdown catches in each of those contests. So Flowers, a quality wide receiver that the Notre Dame secondary will contend with on Saturday. And by the way, through Week 10, Flowers was one of three players in the country with four touchdown catches of 50 or more yards and one of two players with at least three of those against FBS Opponents got that little nugget from my friends at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Okay, okay. Uh, number three. Next up, as we take a look at Saturday's opponent, Boston College, how about some of the famous alumni who went to school in Chestnut Hill? We'll start from a politics standpoint. Former Secretary of State John Kerry went to Boston College. Also, former Speaker of the House. Back in the 80s, Tip O'Neill. Some pretty good sportscasters have graduated from Boston College. Leslie Visser, current sideline reporter for a lot of college football and college basketball games on ESPN. Molly McGrath, probably one of the more excitable 
college football voices, also does a lot of boxing, did Monday Night Football for a short time. Joe Tessitore went to BC, as did longtime writer Bob Ryan and the television voice of the Chicago Cubs, John Boogshambi, went to Boston College. From a Hollywood standpoint, famous alumni from Boston College, actor Chris O'Donnell, Comedian, actress Amy Poehler went to Boston College. Did you know Spock went to BC? Leonard Nimoy. And the guy who just sat on a couch and hosted Star Search, Ed McMahon, went to Boston College. Pretty good group of football players led by a couple of quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, now the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, again. And Heisman Trophy winner, Doug Flutie. One of the top linebackers in the NFL for a decade, now retired, Luke Keekley, who had a great run with the Carolina Panthers. San Francisco 49er, Denver Broncos Super Bowl championship linebacker Bill Romanowski went to BC. And current Green Bay Packer running back A.J. Dillon was an eagle. From the basketball standpoint, one of the great cheaters, I mean one of the up-and-coming now I can't even cover it. Sorry. Bruce Pearl, now the head coach of Auburn. Hey, he's been caught by the NCAA how many times? I'm not lying. He cheats. It's a cheater. He wins, but he cheats. He's now at Auburn. Hockey, Johnny Goudreau, now with Columbus, started his career with the Calgary Flames. Brian Leach, one of the great defensemen in Ranger history. Chris Kreider and Bill Guerin also played hockey at Boston College. I could go on and on about players who went to BC. We have played some really good BC players through my 12 years with the Irish. And I sure didn't know this. There are two Boston College alums who are WWE wrestlers. I guess if you watch it, you'll know who I'm talking about because I have no idea. Kofi Kingston and Rikishi. That's all I got. Let's move along quickly. Number two. So how about Notre Dame connections with this Boston College football program? We talked earlier in the program about former Irish quarterback Phil Dracovic dealing with a concussion, a knee injury, and a rib injury. Dracovic completing 59% of his passes this year for 1,711 yards, 11 touchdowns with eight interceptions. Phil told a newspaper during the offseason, didn't enjoy his experience that much at Notre Dame. Was happy he came, but happy that he left. He lost his love of the game, thought about changing positions. Whatever the case was, he ended up at Boston College. Now he is really banged up. George Takis, that number two tight end that didn't get many opportunities to catch the football. Takis had eight catches in three years with the Fighting Irish. Moved on to BC this season, and Takis has 24 catches for 248 yards and a touchdown over the last two games with a new quarterback, Emmett Moorhead. He has found Takis seven times for 72 yards. And another connection, John McNulty. He left Notre Dame where he was the Irish's tight end coach to become the Boston College offensive coordinator. Number one. And finally, things that you need to know about BC. They did pull off a good win for them last Saturday. 
as they upset North Carolina State in Raleigh 21-20. The Wolfpack were number 16 in the college football playoff rankings. And the new starting quarterback, Emmett Moorhead, fired a touchdown pass to Joseph Griffin with 14 seconds left, capping off a 12-play, 69-yard drive. And for a team that sure looked like they were going to end the year at 2-10, a very surprising victory led by their new quarterback, Moorhead. They knocked off NC State on the road last Saturday, 21-20, and are a 3-7 football team headed to South Bend. 6:22 is our time. We'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting and the big news of the week, a 23 quarterback for the Fighting Irish. Mike Singer has the details next on WSBT. I think a little bit more than an outside chance, uh, especially if you uh, believe read anything anything into that on three recruiting prediction machine, which says Notre Dame's uh, the, the heavy leader at 96.5% of the land. So um, what's interesting, Darren, is a couple weeks ago that news broke that Caleb Smith, a wide receiver from Texas, um, was you know he was committed to Texas Tech, and then news breaks that he's decommitting and then taking an official visit to Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame has that no official visit policy for committed players, whether that be an Irish commit going to another school or like in you know Caleb Smith's case, was committed to Texas Tech. And you you have to decommit if you want to go to Notre Dame. Like they're not they're not playing games. So it's the same kind of scenario with Minchie. You know, it's it's like he was committed to Pittsburgh, decommits, and now he's going to Notre Dame. So it's looking really good for Notre Dame in both recruitments, as far as I'm concerned. Probably more confident that Notre Dame's able to land Minchie than even Smith at this point. So, um, yeah, Darren, he is someone who we talked about back in the uh, the summer. Notre Dame had offered him. Irish did not seem to make much traction. And uh, then – I kind of one. I'm very curious, like what are kind of all the reasons that have gone into him. Look, I think this is more of a him seeking out Notre Dame kind of thing than Notre. I mean, because he told he told Notre Dame no. You know, I'm sure Notre Dame you know kept trying to recruit him. You know, but this was more of a change for him, if if that makes sense. I think that he wanted to open things up and and you know it just had a lot more interest in Notre Dame. Um, so yeah, very interesting, um, player, uh, in, injured. We're watching for, for folks watching on YouTube. It's, it's senior tape and he only played in a few games cause he had a shoulder injury and it's still supposed to be bugging his season's over now. But, um, I believe in this last game, he didn't even get to finish it cause his shoulder was bugging him. So, um, you, you know, you just hope that's nothing serious because, you know, he is a, uh, he's a darn good quarterback there. Now, he's not the type that's going to run a whole lot. He can move. He's, he's versatile, but he's not like a speed demon, correct? I think he's a modern-day quarterback. Okay. You know, you know he's, he's, I like his release. It's pretty quick, nice touch. He can move. But, yeah, he's, you know, he's not Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson back there, but he can certainly run. Looks built kind of like a truck. You know, he's, he's a thick kid, um, 6'1", maybe 6'2". Uh, overall, just seems like a good, good, uh, a good fit for Notre Dame. I'm told that Tommy Reese really wanted him. Uh, Darren, do you remember we talked about Austin Novosad, the quarterback who's committed to Baylor and ended up sticking? Notre Dame offered Minchie, and after Minchie basically said no, thank you, then they went to Novosad. This is the guy um, that they were really going after, kind of after that first swing of guys that Notre Dame weren't able to land. Your Dante Moore, your um, you know, Chris Vizina, Jackson Arnold. Notre Dame wasn't able to land those guys. 
and then they went this route, Kenny Minchie, and it just kind of has worked out that he's fallen back into Notre Dame's lap, so to speak. And um, I, I, I mean, Darren, a couple weeks ago we were talking about Notre Dame's potentially their high school quarterback being this UCLA baseball commit who had a New Mexico State football offer. That will, I mean, that would have been. If, if that was it for Notre Dame in high school, that would not have been a good situation, you know, like, especially when you look at the quarterback room. Ninchi, though, this is an All-American four-star, you know, top 300 player nationally. This, is a, this would be a much better situation for Notre Dame. First, let me say, just watching your video clips, he is much more mobile than I anticipated, so I'm really glad I got to watch this video with you. And he is a guy that can do a really good job of man- manipulating the pocket. He's ran a few times for some quality yards. And you're right, he's got a pretty quick release. So he is a very interesting talent. And just going back to what you mentioned a moment ago, you know, he said no to Notre Dame originally. This is just part of the guessing game. But you would have to imagine, Mike, the quarterback situation for an outsider looks more promising right now than it did last summer. It's. My understanding that means you'd be able to enroll early at Notre Dame. So if you're looking at the roster, it's okay. All right, Drew Pine, seven and one as a starter, he's been you know very serviceable for this Notre Dame football team. But third stringer last year, second stringer this year, right? That's the start of the season at least. So I'm Kenny Minchie. I'm thinking I could probably beat out Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. What is he? What what, what is he moving forward? Steve Angeli, Ron Paulus, maybe Notre Dame takes a one-year – maybe I can compete as a true freshman. If not, maybe Notre Dame brings in a, a transfer quarterback as a, as a Jack Cohn kind of bridge quarterback. And then maybe I start a sophomore. Like, that's – you got to be – if you're a freshman quarterback coming in, like, you would have to feel pretty good about the situation that you can play a lot of football at Notre Dame. Just look at Notre Dame, like – it's, it seems to all – I mean, you have injuries at this quarterback position, like – or uh, Ian Book was never meant to be the guy. Right, Darren? He, he wasn't. Tommy Reese wasn't. He, Tommy Reese – you go down the line. You, you And Steve Angeli is one play away from being Notre Dame's guy. So you just never know, especially at Notre Dame. And, and Kenny Minchie is uh, – he's a darn good quarterback. I think this would be a really good gift for Notre Dame. Now, I know this is probably a pretty obvious question, but for those that don't follow recruiting that closely, especially on my show, let me just ask this. So the fact that Minchie might pick Notre Dame, that ends any thought of Carr reclassifying. He'll stay in the 24 class. Fair? Yeah, that's, that's okay. Carr's, Carr's 2024. I had a story up at him at blueandgold.com. Um, so if you're talking about Kenny and Minchie's, again, officially visiting this weekend for the Boston College game. I'm sure his phone's been blowing up from other schools too. I mean, there's no way that Notre Dame's the only school involved here. So we'll see if it's a kind of a quick flip, like he goes from Pitt commit to Notre Dame in the matter of a week, or does it maybe I want to go take an official to whatever school is still like Texas A&M. I don't think it's quarterback commit or Miami. Maybe they're looking for somebody, you know, so we'll see, but I like Notre Dame here. How about this? He goes to Pope John Paul in uh, Henderson, Tennessee, Golden Tate's high school. So that, that you know, it's a Notre Dame friendly high school, I would have to imagine. And um, yeah, cars 
Minji 2023, card 2024, I am sure Marcus Freeman is saying his Hail Marys. I mean, that would be <laughs> an ide- very ideal situation for Notre Dame. And for those subscribers to blueandgold.com, I believe you got a story up on CJ Carr right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wrote that, wrote that up yep. this morning, interviewed him. Um, he's, he's great. One of my favorite recruits I've ever got to cover, for sure. It's funny, Mike. I know you post on Twitter all of your stories, and I'm linked into a lot of those. And there was a Pittsburgh fan that wrote today and just kind of said, you know, hey, I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I just – I don't understand. Here's a guy that – He's looking for that, I can't remember how exactly they put it, but Notre Dame, he's going for the brand. But, Mike, it's so much more than that. I don't think outside Notre Dame fan base individuals understand how Marcus Freeman can relate to those kids. He has a, the great ability to build quick relationships with them. And I don't know the relationship with Tommy Reese and Minchie, but A, Notre Dame is one of the greatest brands in the world. When they call, it's hard to say no. When you look at the quarterback position, that's very appetizing. And again, I think Marcus Freeman is just a guy these kids relate to. Darren, you better stop talking like that. You're going to take my job soon. Yeah, all right. No, thank you. First off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No rebuttal. Good. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay. So we might have some news on Minchie next week. We'll certainly talk about him. That's for okay. sure. We'll talk about his visit, how it went. He's, he's not a big media guy. Like he's kind of even before, like he's not doing all these interviews. And, and now I can't imagine how much if it's even more now people want to talk to him. So I, I don't know if he's going to, you know, go on the record, but we'll, we'll certainly, you know, discuss Tuesday in our show next week, kind of what I'm hearing after it. He's got a couple of weeks before national signing day, plenty of time, no rush. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think it's the 21st. Just a few days before Christmas this year. Oof. So, um, yeah, December 21st. All right. Yeah, yeah, he's got a month. Mike Singer, Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio. Let's talk about Notre Dame commitment Armel Mookum. He's visiting this weekend. Yeah, I just thought it was good to mention. Um, I, you know, I feel like I'm dedicating a segment each show to talking about someone who's just, just kind of flying under the radar. <laughs> we don't talk about Mookum was a guy who committed to Notre Dame in April and had never announced an offer from Notre Dame, was uh, completely out of the blue. This will be his first time getting South Bend. He was a Stanford commit. Notre Dame offered him, and he, and he flips on, pretty much on the spot. Um, and he's remained committed to the Irish since late August and um, is, is getting that uh, all-expenses-paid trip out, out to Notre Dame's campus this weekend. So, John's good to mention, 6'3", and a half, 250-pound, three-star defense alignment, Virginia, Cal, Stanford, some of his other offers, obviously all fantastic schools. He's a smart young man, um, Canadian heritage, and, um, yeah, just uh, you know, wanted to mention he's going to take his official this weekend. And just a player for, for folks to remember is uh, committed to Notre Dame and the staff's excited about him. Mike, let's move along to – Khalil Barnes, someone we've talked about a decent amount the last couple of weeks. I believe I saw on social media today he has picked a date to make his college choice. Yeah, it will be December 16th, so the Friday before National Signing Day. Um, So, yeah, the signing day is a bit later because it's always that uh, third Wednesday in December is National Signing Day. Well, December 1st is on a Thursday, so that's why it's, it's 
seems it's a little bit closer to Christmas than we're usually are, are anticipating. Um, but uh, yeah, Darren, it's um, a final three of Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Notre Dame's considered the favorite right now. He'll take an official to Clemson at the end of November, and then a tentative date is scheduled with Oklahoma in December. But that's um, that weekend he has a tentatively planned is potentially his high school state championship game weekend. So he would not take the OU visit if he's playing in the in that game. Um, but, yeah, Notre Dame's a leader right now. He's listed as a cornerback. Notre Dame's re- recruiting him as a receiver. And my article's on him. I've just been calling him an athlete because he could play either position at Notre Dame. But, again, the, the primary position is has been receiver. So, yeah, Barnes took an official to Notre Dame for that Clemson game. Absolutely love the experience. Really clicks with Chancey Stuckey and Marcus Freeman. I like Notre Dame here, but um, I don't believe I've logged a prediction for him to land with the Irish just yet, and not in a rush to. You know, he's, he's got the commitment date pushed back a little bit, um, and you know, it, I, I just I, I want to see how things kind of shake out on this Notre Dame 2023 board before I kind of put my uh, put my prediction out there. I'm wondering. Just from a player perspective and maybe coaches you talk to, is the early signing period working for everybody? Is it working as it was designed? <laughs> uh, Darren, I don't know. Uh, and that's, that's one of those I got I to gotta think about that a little bit. Okay. You're putting me on the spot. I don't think so. No? I don't think so. Because it just with – how the, the the recruiting calendar and, and what it's turned into with, with the coaching coaches getting fired and, and and coaches moving. Good point. It's just so close. If it were back in February, what what kind of those dominoes fall? The they transfer portal's just so opening up early. about that time too. I, I like I just one back in February. Okay. If the reason to put it in December is because you don't want to spend all January babysitting your commitments, boo-hoo, get over it. You know, like there's – get get over it, college coaches. You, you, you get paid a lot of money. You can you can babysit. So – and a lot of January is a dead period anyway, so yeah, they can get over it. <laughs> I'm glad I really asked that question now. Got good sound effects along with your answer. I like it. Okay, next up on our list – is running back Aeneas Williams from the 2024 class. Wow, that name. That's a Pro Football Hall of Fame name, the old Cardinal cornerback Aeneas Williams. But this is Aeneas Williams, the running back. Yeah, no relation. So, um, yeah, he's put out a, a top group, bunch of schools. Um, I'm not even going to list them all because it's just a handful of powerhouse schools. But, yeah, Notre Dame is considered the leader for him. Um, yeah, we've talked about him a good bit. Over the past few months, as a as a player who went from just a couple of offers back in the spring to now, you know, the number 135 overall player nationally and the number 11 running back, he can basically go wherever he wants. I mean, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, etc. I like Notre Dame here. He visited for the Clemson game, and I think Notre Dame's going to land him. He, he he did an interview with On Three this week, and he said that he's looking to commit sometime next year you know, sometime before the summer. But you know what also is before the summer? You know, December, January, February. I think I think he's going to commit this winter. And 
I, I like Notre Dame here. I think Notre Dame is, is kind of in the driver's seat for, for Aeneas Williams. So this would be a huge gift for the Irish. Another, just look at running back recruiting for Notre Dame these past few years. It's been outstanding. Going back to Tyron Williams in 2019 and Tyree in 2020 and then Estime and Diggs in 2021 and last year with Jadarian Price. We haven't got to see him much, but he's a, he's a baller. And then this 2023 class with Dylan Edwards, Jaden Lamar, Jeremiah Love, some serious speed. And Aeneas Williams, who would you watch him play? He looks like Kyron Williams. Whew, that's a great, great backfield. I mean, Mike, this is a remarkable turnaround because before you were on the beat. Mm, no, not great. Jafar Armstrong, you know, your guy in 2018. Yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, running back recruiter. recruiting was bottom of the barrel for positions at Notre Dame. And now it feels like it's right near the top. What a, a remarkable turnaround. And I know, hey, Brian Kelly made a change at running back coach. And that's kind of when the change started to come. And now it continues with McCullough. Lance, yep, Lance Taylor gets a ton of credit for that. Um, I know Chip Long, you know, did a great job in Chris Tyree's recruitment, but the rebound from not landing Will Shipley in the 2021 class to then Diggs and Estime, I think that worked out. I think that worked out there. I actually asked that on Twitter. I know it's kind of hypothetical because you don't know who they would have ended up with if they'd have got Shipley, but if Diggs and Estime are a consolation prize – Shipley would have been the only back. You think so? Yep. Yeah. So it really Shipley came down to Shipley or now Diggs and Estimane. Shipley's a great player, Mike, but I'm not passing up Estimane Diggs at this point. Agreed. All right. Wow, Agreed. Agreeing. Look at that. I'm on the same wavelength recruiting talk as Mike Singer, man. I am making it. I am ready for Hollywood now, I think. Uh, All right. This is going to be our last show. You're about to take my job, Darren. Yeah. So it's been <laughs> yeah. a, it's been a you good have – absolutely nothing to worry about first off you have a better background than i do so you win right there true that's right true. hey what's happening at blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com i should say everything but i'll let you fill in the blanks yeah it's uh it's a it's a busy time um you know definitely um with with signing day is uh, recruiting is really heating up right now this is the last this weekend of the fall of course but I bet you some, there are going to be some December big visitors as well, officials and unofficials with bowl prep and all that good stuff. So Notre Dame has a room to add a few more players, talking quarterback, skill players. It's going to be exciting. And, of course, you get all the great content from uh, Tyler Horka and Patrick Engel at Blue and Gold and thousands of, communicate with thousands of other Notre Dame fans on our message board. So head to blueandgold.com and our current promotion is $10 through the start of next football season. Very good. He is Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Always enjoy the visit. And again, folks, make sure you go to blueandgold.com to get the latest on Kenny Minchie, who might be a part of the Irish class very soon. Mike, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week or who knows, maybe before then. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Darren. He's Mike. I'm Darren. More Sports Beat in a moment on 960 AM WSBT. 
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 